We've been talking a lot about overflow and how we are built, created, made for a relationship with God of overflow. That this following Jesus life, the relationship that we're made for is not meant to be this little compartmentalized piece of life where we've got, you know, life where we do this and we do that and then we've got God over here as a piece of it. Jesus just absolutely obliterates that idea, that worldview, the whole Bible does. God is meant to be our all in all in every moment, every day. To follow Jesus is to give him everything so that we can know him. It's simply about knowing him. As my wife just quoted that great verse from John 17, 3, Jesus says, eternal life is knowing God. That's what it's all about. And it starts right now and wells up for all eternity. That simple and pure idea of knowing God. Are we in that constant communion, connection, and conversation with God? Last week we looked at a tool based on prayer and the Word of God and thanksgiving and praise where we kind of created a little acronym, Power Tap, to kind of tap what is a way to remember some different tools God has given us to tap into that connection with God that's meant to be constant so that we taste and drink of the bread of life and living water and live that overflow life, that abundant life that Jesus speaks of. And today I felt just the stirring to come back to that prayer notion, that prayer that's over all. Prayer is that conversation with God that is really never meant to end. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians says. That was the verse that we built that prayer idea on. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Pray all the time. Make your whole life a prayer. I love that last one so much. Make your whole life a prayer. Prayer simply being that conversation with God, that awareness of God's presence and his reality and wanting to have our radar on, if you will, where we're doing our part to cultivate that connection with God. Again, breaking out of any little vestiges of ideas that God's over here in this compartment, that when you go to church or you go to Bible study or you go to life group or you do a service project or you do a set time of prayer, you do a specific thing, then you're doing churchy stuff, you're doing God stuff, and then you go back to normal life. No, that's impossible. That, that idea of categorizing our faith or our life with God gets blown out of the water in two words in the Bible, Pray without ceasing, which is one, two words in Greek, but it's three in English. <laughs> pray continually. Pray unceasingly. Pray all the time. Make your life a prayer. God is everything. Our relationship with God is meant to be everything. We're made for that constant connection to God. An incredible example of this we looked at in just a smidgen last week, and I want to press deeper into the life of Brother Lawrence. He is a leader and example in what it looks like to make your whole life a prayer. And I feel like it's appropriate to, to look to him as, as truly someone we can imitate and learn from in this particular way. 
Hebrews 13, 7 in, in God's word tells us to do that. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. So when we see people who have gone before us or who are even living, you could say, that have an outcome of kingdom fruit because of their way of life, learn from them, imitate them. Now, it's not saying be like carbon copies of them where you lose your personality and everything. No, it's just saying, or you, you, know, you would lose the uniqueness of how God created you and become someone else's little clone. No, not at all. It's saying when you, ha- when you see someone with kingdom victory in their life, good fruit of the kingdom, with a testimony of God's power and how God has transformed them, and you see the good fruit that is being produced, this outcome that is attractive, this from the way of life, then imitate it. Learn from those things. Find out what aspect of your faith brought this in your life. I want to learn from that. That's so much of the, the heart of discipleship. That's why Paul could have the audacity to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's just saying, hey, I'm being honest. I used to be a a, a Christian killer, and look what God has done. So imitate me. That's, I mean, that's his, it's kind of shocking, but it's his way of saying, hey, I know how God has transformed my life. So he's not giving himself glory, saying, hey, look at me, imitate me. He's saying, no, as he'll say in that same letter, he said, "I'm I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm the chief of sinners, but God. So if you want to know how to get your life transformed, I'm offering my life as a living example. And that's what it's going after here. There's some things to imitate, to learn from Brother Lawrence. And so I want to take us a little bit deeper into his testimony and then line it up with God's word. Because those those things that are very attractive to me about Brother Lawrence's life are, are direct parallels, or I would say a living out of teaching from God's word. But sometimes it's just really cool to see God's word lived out in a real life and then have someone reflect on it and talk about it. So we're going to combine those things this morning of God's word and Brother Lawrence's testimony. So I won't go into a ton of the background. We, we hit it last week. He was born in 1611 in France and got, had a radical conversion at the age of 18, went and served in, in the French military, and then six years later, in, in, at the age of 24, I believe, he entered into a monastery in France where he spent the rest of his life, died at 80 years old, which is really old at that time. And no, I'm serious, in, in a good way. Like he had this in, in, incredible long life of learning to practice the presence of God. He, he wrote down all this stuff and had never a desire that it would be published. He, he wrote down these spiritual maxims and they were found in his room after he died. He wrote some letters, but he made the guy promise that they, he wouldn't, <laughs> they would never show them to anybody. So the guy waited till after he died and then published them. And <laughs> he was like, there's too much gold in here to, to let this, you know, go to the grave. And I'm gl- the world is glad he did. For the last, you know, 400 years, uh, this practicing the presence of God has been an instant Christian classic of what does it look like to really live out this simple verse that says, make my whole life a prayer. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Pray all the time. 
So as I mentioned last week, he uh, almost got like a prison sentence upon entering the monastery. He was told he was going to be the dishwasher. And so for decades, his primary activity in life <laughs> was washing dishes for the whole monastery. And at first he was very angry and upset by this and bored and, and just frustrated. But out of that place of this valley of trial, he sought the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him and, and promised him victory in the midst of a very challenging, boring, frustrating situation. And he developed what he called the practice of the presence of God. I want to read just a few quotes right at the beginning that create this framework for how he went after this biblical idea to make life a prayer, to pray all the time, to pray without ceasing. He says this, the practice of the presence of God, and this came out of his spiritual maxims, which he wrote essentially as a journal to himself with no desire that they ever be published. They were found in his room after he passed. He says, the practice of the presence of God is the most holy, the most all-encompassing, the most necessary practice of the spiritual life. It trains the soul to find joy in his divine companionship at all times and that every moment it engages the soul in humble and loving communion with him. Yeah, that's, thank you. Somebody's alive out there. There's a, that's, that's so what life's about, communion and companionship. Just walking with Jesus, that's what the prayer Making life a prayer, it's intimacy, communion, companionship, knowing God, intimacy with God, encountering God in the most simple ways, in the most, then the most profound and life-altering ways. Then he goes on to say, so I make it my business to only persevere in his holy presence, where, wherein I keep myself by a simple attention a general fond regard to God, which I may call an actual presence of God, or to speak better, a habitual, silent, secret conversation of the soul with God. So getting put in the dungeon of dishes, so to speak, and being frustrated, and then say, you know what, from that, God can redeem this situation. I just love that mindset right there. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, even if it's challenging at first, but God. It's that mindset to say, but God, you want to do something. What do you want to do? And he, and he felt like the Lord spoke to him to say, I want to be with you. I want to teach you to be with me. I want you to develop this presence, this practicing of a presence where you're with me all the time, no matter what. And so he said, so therefore, I made it my only business to learn how to develop this silent, secret conversation with God all the time. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Just make your whole life a prayer. Talk to God all the time. Pray without ceasing. He goes on to say, So this made me resolve to give the all for the all. I began to live as if there was none but he and I in the world. 
I drove away from my mind everything that was capable of interrupting my thought with God. That's a very, that's a very Protestant perspective of there is a reality for you and I, reality starts with the, the sacred individual. It's interesting. What was the Protestant Reformation, 1613? And, and I don't know if he got flavors of this coming. I mean, he was in a Catholic monastery. But this is, a very, this is a very Protestant worldview here where me, as I wake up in the morning and recognize I have a consciousness, that is because I am created in the image of God and I am created for and have the potential of personal relationship with God that no one else can do for me. I have to make the choice of personal relationship with God. Christ died on the cross to make it possible so that my soul, my individual soul, can be saved and be in personal relationship with God now and for all of eternity. And so he's coming from that mindset of in that way saying, it's just me and God in the world. Now you can take that to a, you can interpret that in like a weird extreme. Obviously there's other people and how we interact with others and serve others and are aware of things going on in the world, that matters. But in the sense of prayer, that's powerful. To be like, where does my soul start? It doesn't start out here with all the noise of what's going on. It starts right here with me and God. So in a sense, that's, that's a powerful quote. I start the morning and it's just me and God. And I keep that as, as my default. My default soul's posture is, I got to talk to God. It's me and God. And then it flows out from there. And so he goes on similarly to say, so therefore, we should commit ourselves unceasingly to this one goal. I love this. This is, this is awesome. That everything we do be little acts of communion with God. Communion means that connection with God. He's not, necess- he's not talking about taking communion in the moment. And this was cool. I had never seen this quote. I got, I got inspired by my sermon last week, so I ordered the book on Amazon because I'd lost my other copy, and I read the whole book this week. And I, <laughs> I was like, I had never seen that quote. That's a rad part of it. To, you have this big, broad picture of life is about a constant conversation with God, a constant connection with God, and to break it down into, into the... the little things we do every day, he says, so part of how we do that is let's have that mindset of the sacred mindset that everything we engage in can be redeemed unto the Lord as an act, as a way of connecting with God. So every little thing I do, I want it to be a further way of connecting with God. Saying, I see God in this. I thank God in this. I praise God for this. This humbles me. This this reminds me of my need for God here. And Everything that we do can be about little ways to remind us all day long to connect with God. Everything we do, little acts of communion with God. I love that mindset. Everything I do, can I find a way to, to turn it up to God, to make it part of my conversation with God? It's a beautiful vision for life. So this is Brother Lawrence living out what we've been talking about, a continuous prayer mindset, an always praying mindset, recognizing that we can practice and learn to posture our heart, mind, and spirit in constant connection and conversation with God. What a privilege. 
that God has designed us for. Or to put it succinctly, Brother Lawrence simply chose to talk to God about everything. In some ways, that's, that's it right there. Game over, simple. Just talk to God about everything. In the highs, in the lows, in the thanks, in the frustrations, in the needs, in the praise, in the little things and the big things, just talk to God about everything. And he chose to believe God's word, which says that God's always there. God's always with him. God wants to hear from him. God desires that we talk to him. God actually cares what you think, and he wants you to come and talk to him. And so his challenge to us is is to live out that question, are we talking with God like he's always there and wants to listen? Do you believe that he desires that you talk to him? I mean, one very simple picture that settles this one for me is the picture that Jesus paints over and over and over, probably for good reason, probably because it's good for our soul, that the nature of God can be related to, can be known like a perfect parent. Like, as Jesus talks about prayer, ask, seek, knock, and what does he say? You, you parents out there, if your kid asks for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If they ask for fish, you're not going to give him a scorpion. And you're evil compared to how good God is. How much more is your heavenly Father going to give good things to those who ask? So he says, I love it. He just appeals to the most natural thing on the planet, which is care for children. And he says, even you, even if you feel, you feel that little spark of care for children, That's like God, except he's infinitely better towards you. And so I put this, I filter this idea of Brother Lawrence. So does God want to hear about everything? Does he really desire I talk to him all the time? And it's like, okay, let's think about my kids. Game over. If they care about something, if it matters to them, and they want to come talk to me, what's my just initial gut reaction? They have a concern. They're excited Whatever their high range of emotions can be, they want to come. They want to talk to me about it. I'm having a bad day (laughs) if I'm like, go away, loser. You know, it's like, that's not, I don't say that. But that's not the gut level response, right? We want to hear what our kids, grandkids, little kids have to say. I mean, these little kids run up to me at church, and they're like, they have their bright little eyes. They want to say. I mean, there's this immediate reaction, like, hey, what is it you want to say? And here's Jesus' point. You are evil compared to how good God is. So if that's easy for you, how much more does God want to hear about everything you have to say to get that connection going with him all day long? Do you believe that he desires, he desires for you to talk to him about everything? Revelation 3, 20 says it like this. Jesus is talking to a group of believers, which is key to see here. Of believers, people who are already saved. They're already in the family of God. They already know him. He's talking to the church at Laodicea, and he says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he with me. 
so important to know that that is not a salvation call right there. He's talking to the church. And he's saying, in cultural language, the metaphor of a meal, opening the door of your home, allowing someone into your home for a meal, is a cultural picture of friendship, intimacy, closeness. That's why Jesus got in such massive trouble for going to dinner with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors and all the dregs of society, and it ruffles the panties of the religious leaders because they're like, Jesus, don't you know the message that that is sending to them? It's that you're socially telling them that you accept them and love them and, and want to have fellowship with them. And, and Jesus was like, oh, I didn't know that. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I know exactly the message that I'm bringing. But that's the picture of, in that culture, there's a very clear message. It's about intimacy. It's about communion. It's about fellowship. So when Jesus is talking to the church or a church, Christians, and saying, here's kind of the picture of life every day. You wake up. I'm knocking on the door. I want to have fellowship with you. But you need to hear me, and you need to open the door. I mean, listen to what he says. If anyone hears my voice. I'm knocking. I'm knocking out there every day. I'm knocking. If you hear me and open the door, I will come in. I will eat with him and he with me. So it's just this picture, this, this meal. It's the fellowship. It's the communion. It's the conversation. But there's two things there. It's like, can you hear him knocking? And are you going to get up and open the door? So it's, it's just interesting, though, as you kind of di dive into the analogy there, it's like, well, you know what? Actually, there's sometimes I don't even hear him knocking. I wake up in the morning, and I'm so busy that, you know, if I get halfway through my day, and Jesus is like, hey, I was knocking, I would honestly be like, I didn't hear you knocking. Why not? Because my house was so loud with other noise. I couldn't even hear you knocking. And so that's just a good piece right there, a good picture of let's make sure there's not so much noise going on as soon as we wake up in the morning that we can't even hear him knocking. And then when we do hear him knocking, we've got to make the choice to get up off the couch and say, I want this man to come in, share a meal together. So it's just this picture of our effort in the relationship, our part in the relationship. Jesus does not, you don't wake up in the morning and Jesus just, you know, takes that like SWAT team, here I am, whether you want it or not. You know, it's like, nope. But that's, what does that mean? He's knocking. If you don't say yes, you have that choice to go throughout that day and just be like, not today. I got too much stuff to do. It's too noisy, I don't hear you. I'm going to go at it on my own today. It's just this picture that, he, that Jesus is desiring connection. He's desiring conversation. And so our choice, our question, do we want to open the door every day? And Brother Lawrence brings us back to that picture of 
as we seek him, we will find him. There's one other verse that I love so much that challenges us in a healthy way. Because this is ultimately about seeking God, right? In prayer, in conversation, in connection, as we look at that picture of how Jesus makes it possible and Jesus has the desire to connect with us on the daily basis, to get that conversation going, to get that communion, to get that fellowship, get that meal going. Us getting up off the couch, opening the door, is us seeking him, so to speak. And I love that Psalm 27, 8, that says this. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. It's a simple little verse, but this is the psalmist reflecting back on his life. And he's thinking about the ways that God has clearly communicated to him. And then he's, this is kind of a journal entry, if you will. And he's reflecting on how have I responded to those invitations from God, those challenges from God. And he's reflecting back on, wow, you know what? I remember that time God made it really clear to me. And he said, seek my face. Seek my face. Pursue me. Run after me. I'm knocking at the door. You're going to open it. And the psalmist says, Your face, O Lord, do I seek. And I kind of had this picture as I was reading that, meditating, pondering on it. I was like, that, that's got to be somewhere in like the top five like vows that we could say we've made to God in our life. Like, can we stand before God? I mean, we're all going to stand before God at the end of life. And there's a picture of the gravitas of have we stewarded life well? And kind of imagining myself in that, that place of I get to give an account for my life. And what if Jesus said there, hey, I challenged you. Seek my face. Am I going to be able to say in that moment, with all confidence, your face, Lord, did I seek. And in a sense where I, I made that vow, that I might not be good at everything in life, and I'm going to stumble, and I'm going to fall, I'm certainly not going to get that perfect, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the soul's cry, the Holy Spirit beckoning to me, knocking on the door, Saying, this is one of the most important things in life. Seek my face. And then my soul responds with a, a vow. It says, your face, Lord, I'm going to seek. And I believe Brother Lawrence gave us an example of what that looks like. To make Seeking the face of God, seeking the presence of God, seeking that conversation, that fellowship, that meal, that communion with God, what we seek after. But we don't have to make it bigger than it needs to be. It just comes down to that. Yes, I'm going to seek you 
I'm going to talk to you about everything. I'm going to get that silent, silent, secret conversation with God going today. Where it's me and you, and we're talking about everything. Do we believe that he's really that close? I want to share one quick story of a very encouraging affirmation. As I've been trying to learn from Brother Lawrence and practice the presence of God and seek his face over the years, I remember a particular Sunday afternoon, quite a, quite a long time ago at this point, I don't know, maybe eight years, ten years, a while. It was after we had started Elevation, and I remember it was a particularly just powerful Sunday where it just was like, wow, that was such a privilege to minister, Lord, to be, to be a co-laborer with you on behalf of what you want to do in the church family, and, and that's, that's, that's a blessing, right? I mean, you know when you serve and you're, you're operating in the gifts God's given you and you can sense the Holy Spirit, that, that, that's a straight up, that's like a Holy Spirit high. That's a wonderful thing. And so I remember, it was a great Sunday. And I went to the grocery store in Temecula at the, um, what's that, organic, organic Roots, yeah. And for whatever reason, it was just me and getting some groceries, walking back out to my car. And I was kind of having that conversation with God, you know, that silent, secret conversation. Um, if you do it too loud in the grocery store, you know, other things happen, which is, you know, a little bit weird. People come up to you. <laughs> like, you okay? So I think Brother Lawrence brought yeah, a little silent, secret conversation. It was maybe good for public settings. But I was just talking to God about the day. And I remember specifically saying, like, thank you, Lord, for that blessed day of ministry that I got to be a part of, of seeing you do powerful things. And, but then I remembered kind of that... that almost check in my spirit of like my identity is not to be found in the quote-unquote success or failure of ministry which is a trap for all of us where we look to have our identity in what we do that's a trap where we get caught up in oh I've got to do this and do that I mean it can be in the church or in your job or in whatever I mean it's it can be just in the fact of doing. I've got to do this when I perform well, then I'm a good person, or then I'm valuable when I achieve success, then I'm, then I'm lovable and valuable. That is not the biblical worldview at all. That's not grace. That's straight up works. Our value comes from even in the lowest of moments when we're the chief of sinners and, and we remember that Christ died on the cross to say, beloved daughter, beloved son, come home. That's our identity, first and foremost. And then as we begin to walk as his children, we find out, oh my gosh, and it's cool. The bonus is he's created us to do cool stuff that's enjoyable, but it's not my identity, and it's not your identity. And so there was that little check of, hey, God, this was, this was awesome. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. But what I really want to know, since we're having a good conversation here, <laughs> is I, 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 I just want to walk with you above all else. I don't, no matter how ministry goes, highs and lows, I don't want to get caught up in that where that's my identity. I just want to walk with you. Ministry itself is not the goal. So thank you for that. But Lord, am I walking with you? Am I walking with you above all else? And I remember that, those specific words. Am I just walking with you? And at this point, I'm unloading groceries and talking to God about this. And as I shut the back gate of our car and went to 
walk a little left and then get in my car, I see this uh, big old weird bumper sticker on the back of the truck right next to me. And so, Mike, we can throw that up there. It says, walking with Jesus. And it was literally like, I'm just having a conversation with God. But I asked a very specific question in that moment. Use the language, am I walking with you? And I closed the hatch, and Jesus is like, yes. And then I felt like he went above and beyond, and he spoke my love language. Because we, you know, started a church, and to the best of our, you know, capabilities, we believe he gave us a a vision statement specifically around the word disciple, discipleship, following Jesus. So I kind of felt like the Lord was speaking my love language. Not only was he answering the question saying, yes, you're walking with Jesus, but you're a diehard disciple. And it was like, that's where, okay, now he's getting very personal. He's talking to me. (laughs) He created that bumper sticker for me. He made that truck fall out of heaven while I wasn't looking and put it right next to my car for me. Like, that car doesn't even really exist. I'm just, it's like it's going to disappear by the time I'm gone. Like, that is for me. And, like, you can't convince me of anything else in the world. Like, that was an answer to me. God is real. He's alive. He's talking. He's talking to me. And it's right there. Like, I've never seen a bumper sticker like that before or since. I would look for it. Like, that's a weird bumper sticker. That's cool. I like it. I've never seen that before in my life. Is it a coincidence that in that very moment that I'm just talking to God? And that's where it's like, this is not high level, oh, super spiritual. Whoa. I'm just talking to God about the day. And that's what I love about Brother Lawrence's testimony. He says, this is for everybody. To just talk to God. And watch what he does. Now, it's not always going to be this obvious, but I like to give those examples, and God has done others from time to time, to remind us that when we say we believe that he is with us, that we believe he hears us, we believe that he wants us to talk to him, we believe that he's going to answer those questions, we believe that he wants to be in dialogue and conversation, and it's not always abundantly clear, then we go back to those marker points that are abundantly clear, because those are faith builders, that, so that you can get up every day and say, you know, it's good to get to that point to say, I don't need a bumper sticker to know that when I'm talking to God, he's listening, and it's real. Now, sometimes we're at that point where, God, I really need a bumper sticker today, <laughs> you know, and, that's, and I think he provides them, or lots of different ways. But they're those confirmations to say the most real thing in the universe is your relationship with God. And the result will be a life of overflow. As we pursue this, as we seek him, as we seek his face, we will overflow in increasing measure. I'm going to close with one quote from Brother Lawrence. We are going to come back next week to some of the real specific, practical ways. In that original quote, there's two things that we're not even getting to. Words that he said, practice and training. Practice and training. So we're going to get into those specifics next week. But listen to where this exercise, this practice, this training 
caused him to finish in some ways. He says, I made it my business only to persevere in his holy presence where I kept myself by a simple attention, a general fond regard to God, which I may call an actual presence of God. We've already heard this. To speak better, a habitual, silent, secret conversation of the soul with God. Here we go. Which often causes in me joys and raptures inwardly and sometimes also outwardly so great that I am forced to use means to moderate them to prevent their appearance to others. That's straight out of the Bible. Psalm 1611. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasure is not a bad thing. God made you to have the highest of pleasure in his presence. God made you for joy in his presence. And Brother Lawrence's testimony is through the the trials and the tribulations and the challenge of practicing this, and we'll get into that next week where he got distracted, he got discouraged, he got, oh, there's so many other things that come into my mind, but it was over a couple decades that it came to the point where I think he said it's now, he's like, I'm at the point now where it's like, it would be impossible for me to not think of God all the time and not talk to God all the time and not be in conversation with God all the time. And he said, and the result is joy and raptures, inwardly and outwardly, and so great that I have to like contain myself to not make my fellow brothers think I've literally gone crazy. But that's a joy inexpressible that Paul's talking about. It is God's will for you and I as we simply talk with him, as we simply make life a prayer. So I want to close our time this morning and just pray that blessing. Come on, come on up, babe. We're going to pause from the practicals. We'll get into next week and just want to finish on the, the vision of how incredible is it that God's design for us is to be in that constant conversation with him that will well up into joy inexpressible. Uh, I want to leave us with a uh, psalm to really kind of take us, help to facilitate and take us to this place during the week. Um, So, Psalm 84. I highly recommend that you read it in a few different translations this week. Um, I love ESV, um, that, uh, you know, NIV. Um, I, I highly recommend the two that I've been reading from. Um, they're some of my favorites. I read all different translations, and I feel like Psalm 84 in the ESV and then in the um, Passion Translation are amazing. Brian Simmons, who, you know, translated the Passion Translation, he's absolutely He's an incredible biblical scholar, and um, I actually, I just want to share with you a little piece, um, and then I'm going to read it. So this last week, I was at Costco, and um, and I didn't have an incredibly spiritual day. I don't even think I spent time with God. I think I was like in a rush and a flurry, and you know, there's always that performance mindset. At least for me, I have to battle with it, where I have to be like, no. You, the door is always open. 
you died for me because I'm never perfect. It doesn't matter what I do or what I don't do. You're always there. It doesn't matter how bad I am. Now, I'm not saying go ahead and go sin. But when you do, he paid the price so that you can come in. He, loved, he, he died for you so he could come and hug you when you're dirty. And he can make you clean every time. When you confess to him, we're always his beautiful children. So anyways, I didn't do anything particularly holy that day. You know, I wasn't really very well connected to God, to be quite honest with you. And it was really just out of the blue. And I don't think I even told you this, but I was walking in Costco, and I could hear him singing over me. I just heard this voice. You know, and it was the same voice. Um, I teach my children to hear the Lord, but um, I start by not going to the works of, oh, what is he saying for people? You know, what is he saying? I don't want it to be works, and I teach them first. I want you to listen. I want you to feel his heart. We're going to ask him to show you his heart. Can you feel his love for you? And then with little Pax, when he was little, a new thing was, Paxi, I want us not only to ask the Lord to help us to feel his heart, and he would go, it's so warm. It's like daddy. You know, and he's so warm. He's like everybody's warm, snuggly place and talking place. Everybody talks. <laughs> All of us were like, we want to talk to him, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I taught, I was teaching Pax, you know, let's listen to his song. And one time we were on the trampoline together jumping, and we were just kind of singing, and we both heard the same song. And so I, the same sound, I go, I heard this. It sounded like this. And his voice, and he goes, that's, or he told me first, and I'm like, oh, Pax, I heard the same thing. So I'm walking around Costco, like I said, not entirely spiritual that day. Like I said, real disconnected. Like he was knocking, and I didn't hear it, you know? And I just heard his song. And I don't know, I just, I, I, I just feel like that's, you know, a word for all of us. He is singing over all of us. And, um, and I felt like he wanted me to read Psalm 84 this week. And I actually was not aware um, that he spoke to me a portion of the verse, which I'm going to share. And I wasn't aware that that element of even the song or the delight in his people was in there. So I'm actually going to read that, um, the first verse in Psalm 84 in the Passion Translation, um, which is quite different than the other translation, but Brian Simmons is fantastic, and if it's in here, I guarantee you in the original text, that was a part of it. God of heaven's armies, you find so much beauty in your people. They're like lovely sanctuaries of your presence. And I just, I felt like he was just saying, I find so much beauty in you. Even when you forget about me, you know, we have this video of Pax that I want to show sometime, and, and he started the video, and he took, or it's not of Pax, he took, and he goes, this is my mommy, and I love her the most forever, and I never forget about her. And I, I, I feel like God brings that to mind, you know, even when I heard him singing, I never forget about you. You know, that's the simplest, basic, childlike thing, I never forget about her. She's always on my mind. She's always on my mind, and that's how he feels about us. He never forgets about us. He loves us the most forever. You know, I mean, he just loves us. And, um, and I, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me strength to strength because this has been a difficult week. Um, you know, just different things going on, you know, life and challenges and whatever on, you know, different areas. It's life. It's just, it's just how it is for all of us, you know. And I, I felt like he was saying, I want you to read Psalm 84 and for 
for you every time, every single week, every, for every challenge, he wants us to go from strength to strength. And I loved this verse because it, the, the whole psalm, because it ties together this whole thing about Brother Lawrence as well, which, which Brother Lawrence is connecting to that fountain and overflowing, but it also has words of overflow. And then it also has the action that we actually have the power to tap into the fountain, and we have the choice. We can open the door or we can't. So I'm going to read this. Um, let's see. I'm going to start with uh, ESV. I'm going to read both. Blessed are, uh, this, sorry, this is 84 verse 5. Um, and it's beautiful in the beginning. I mean, I just, I, we don't have time to read it all. We're not doing a whole second sermon. I just want to pass this on as just treasure, like nutrients and nuggets that you can just be chewing on as you are pressing into, you know, living out, practicing the presence of God. So um, 84.5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, like a desert, they make it a place of springs. So is it God that's just pouring out and they do nothing? Or do we have a part? They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. And what I love is um, in verse 5 where it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. There's just this power that we have. The highways to Zion, that's like the highways to God's presence, to his holiness. And um, in the Hebrew, the, the word is literally, there are roads in their hearts. That we have the access point. As we turn to him, as Casey was talking about, as we, every moment, you know, in, in all of the challenges and all of the things that go on, as we come to him, to our daddy, there are roads in our hearts. You know, his Holy Spirit is within us. And he takes us to that place. And he can make, as we plug into him, you know, it says they make it a place of springs, but it's us plugging into him, and he turns the desert into a place of springs. So I just want to leave us with that. As you read Psalm 84, I invite you to do that. You know, this week I'm going to be just really meditating on this. It's, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's all about his presence, and I love that the beginning is also about his love for us. You know, because it's not just about we're pouring out our love and adoration, and he doesn't give us anything in return. He's the best of the best. He's the best daddy. He loves us so much. His, his presence, if we, are, if we continue to ask him for revelation, to plug in, to be able to connect to that and to receive his love, I mean, we will just be filled to such a degree of overflow that we can't control ourselves. You know, I'm not there yet. I want to be. You know, I'm pressing in, you know, deeper and deeper still. So, yeah, let's pray. Sing a new song I will sing a new song